This time you can grab your Bible out again. We've got one verse to read before we get into it, but we will be moving around in our Bibles quite a bit this morning. You can open up to Exodus 20, found page 72 in your pew Bible, if you don't have your own, page 72 in your pew Bible. Again, um, I will not be explicit, but there will be some adult content this morning, so you are forewarned. We are working through a series on the Ten Commandments this morning. Uh, we are in our ninth week, and uh, it's been, I, I think, a real uh, eye-opening time going through them, and we really uh, get into the depth and the breadth of uh, Psalm 119.96, how broad is God's commandment that we find ourselves crushed and crushed and crushed, such that I got this uh, cartoon shared with me this morning. It's Moses coming off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and the crowd before him is obviously asking him something, and Moses replies, no, I'm not going back to ask for a little more wiggle room. I'm not going back to ask for more wiggle room. They hear the Ten Commandments, and they think, "Uh, can we get something a little more lenient? And Moses tells them, no, we cannot do that. And that's what we find when we come to the Ten Commandments. They are ten uh, simple statements not, really not that long, fills up a couple of tablets, you can crochet it and put it, or you can, uh, what's that called when you backstitch it, is that not crochet? Cross stitch it, yeah, it's, it's hanging back there by the uh, single bathroom back there, you can cross stitch all of them on one little piece of fabric, but when you get into them, you find they really have quite a bit to say to us. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Will you pray with me? Father, give us help this morning. Um, We approach a command, God, that is very controversial in our day and age today. And God, I want to be faithful to your word. God, being faithful to this culture has no attraction for me, has no attraction for people of your book. God, we desire to be faithful to you this morning faithful to your word, faithful to what you have clearly communicated to us, unpopular as that may be in our world today. God, we are not here to claim allegiance to Caesar. We are not here to claim allegiance to any sort of popular revolution. We are here to claim allegiance to King Jesus, to claim allegiance to you, our God, our Creator, the one who rules over all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who began it all. And when this is all over, you are the one who will wrap all these things up. And so God, help us here this morning that we would see this clearly, that we would hear it accurately, that God, we would sit under the weight of your law and us as transgressors. And Father, have mercy. May we not sit here this morning And hear transgression and not also hear the gospel good news given and spoken only for sinners, which is each one of us. God, help us to hear rightly that we might rejoice fully in you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I did not say the grass withers, the flower fades. And the word of our God stands forever. That's what the word of God says. You shall not commit adultery. His long after the grass withers and the flower fades, that being us, 
this word will stand forever. Today we move to the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And the question that I begin to wrestle with is how many qualifications and special circumstances does somebody have to cover to have time to address all of the circumstances that come up with some issue like adultery in our culture today? And we don't have three days for me to stand up here and to talk about all the special circumstances with, within which uh, adultery is meant. So while we have found, as we've gone uh, commandment 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, as we come through all of these commandments and have really found, I hope, that you along with me as you do, every time I get to a new one, it's like last week, you, you think, boy, this is the hardest commandment we've done yet. And it gets to murder. I'm like, boy, I, I thought, I thought um, honor your father and mother was in a lot of depth, and I broke a lot of honor your father and mother. Then I get to murder, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the broadness of this command, it can't get any harder than this. And then I get to the seventh command, do not commit adultery. And this one is a particularly hot-button issue in our culture today. It just is. Uh, and part of that reason is because due to this, the sexual revolution of, our gen- of previous generations, we are now in the full uh, working out of what the sexual revolution has meant in our community and in our culture. So that so great is its influence that no one is, is here that hasn't been touched by this at some level, that hasn't been affected by this in some way. So we have to... What are we going to do with something like the seventh commandment? What are we going to do with this command, you shall not commit adultery? I've heard that in Eastern European countries, evangelical Christians, those who believe the gospel, are sometimes called repenters. And they mean it derogatorily. They, they're, they're those people who they are sinners. Those people who are always talking about how sinful they are. They are the repenters. It's meant derogatorily as a put-down. But I, I like it. I think it's spot on to call Christians, evangelical Christians, repenters. We are those that we read through these commandments. And let me state this as, as hopefully clearly as I can. When we do a study on the Ten Commandments, it is not so that we fill up our guns with ammunition from which to sit up and look at our culture and just mow everybody down with our spray of commandments. We're just we're loading up our guns so we can sit here and point our fingers at everybody out there who's the commandment breakers. That is not the way that we read the commandments. That is not what we're doing is just to load up and to hunt others down. But the, the primary function, I will say, we covered this in week two, is this second use of the law, which is as a mirror with which to see ourselves more clearly. We've got the law as a muzzle upon culture. We have that the law, and second use, is as a mirror that we would see ourselves rightly, that it produce in us conviction and therefore repentance. And then it is used as a map to show us what right living looks like, what love for God looks like in the first five, what love for neighbor looks like in six through ten. But one of the primary functions of this law is as a mirror that we would see ourselves clearly. And, and when we see ourselves clearly, what do we see? We see ourselves as sinners, laid low before a righteous, holy law in desperate need of a Savior. That's where you sit this morning. If you're in this room this morning and you're a human being, you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, someone 
to rescue. So what does this commandment, you shall not commit adultery, have to say to us? And though it is a negatively stated commandment, do not, it's stated negatively, do not commit adultery, the heart of the issue is over the purity of the people of God. When marriage is brought together, it is done in a covenant ceremony. And covenants matter to God. God cares about covenants. He's very protective of the covenant of marriage because he says, we know this from Ephesians 5, verse 32, when he says that the marriage of a husband and a wife is a picture of the covenant between Christ and his church. It is a covenant that is not to be broken. When, the, when a Christian becomes a Christian, he becomes wedded to Christ, becomes united to Christ, it is a covenant that is not broken. We are His, He is ours. We are secure in this relationship. We are covenant members with Christ. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. So, we've got to get uncomfortable in our culture today. No one more uncomfortable than me as I stand up front on the mic recording this for all to hear. But we have to get uncomfortable a little bit and stating what does this mean there are a few black and white realities that come to us on the surface of this command to not commit adultery and they all flow from this one big idea put forward in scripture in every place that it speaks of marriage if and it is this summarized like this marriage is one man one woman for one lifetime this is the way marriage is always put forward in scripture we can look at, and if you have questions on this and want to talk with me further about it, I would love to. Just write notes down. i give you a little section in your sermon notes there to make, have questions for me. I'd love to address these things with you. Any clear reading of Scripture, and those who even oppose this view have to admit the Bible is clear when it comes to this idea. That marriage, when put forward from Scripture, is one man, one woman for one lifetime. From that foundation, then, it becomes clear that all sexual relationships outside of that reality, one man, one woman, one lifetime, is adultery. So for clarity's sake, so that I'm not just saying things that we have to assume, this includes in our culture, homosexual relationships are outside of a covenant of one man, one woman for one lifetime. And that even means those homosexual relationships that participate in so-called same-sex marriage. We have homosexual relationships are classified then as adultery under the seventh commandment. All premarital sexual relationships, even ones that are engaged or are very serious, if it's outside of this covenant of one man, one woman, one lifetime, it is adultery. Homosexual relationships, premarital sexual relationships, and all casual sexual relationships with anyone other than your marriage partner, even if a person gives consent. So if there's, it's a crazy new thing going on now, the idea of open relationships, that, that is breaking of this covenant of one man, one woman, one lifetime. Black and white, that we, as I can be, that when the scripture says, you, now, you shall not commit adultery, there are three categories that just at a very surface, obvious level, these are things that this commandment is speaking about. But let's get even more uncomfortable. We go to Mark chapter 10. You've got your Bible there with you. I advise you look these up so you can find them later on your own. Mark chapter 10 and verses 1 through 12, Jesus uh, teaching on divorce. So we've we got to talk about this. Please hang around with me as we get through all these things. I know that 
I, I, this is not, not going to fly well in our popular culture. And, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So please hang with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. Pharisees came up to him in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Here Jesus clearly states that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Why I can't avoid this passage. I can't avoid this. Jesus is speaking. The scripture is speaking about adultery. So we've got to look at this. We've got to understand what's going on. Here's the heated problem. As, as we just kind of rack these things up, there ain't nobody missing out on some sort of participation, even at a service that you don't know somebody. Maybe you have a parent who's been divorced. Maybe you're married to someone who's been divorced. Maybe you have a friend who's divorced. Maybe you're, you know, everyone is touched. You have a sibling who's had a divorce, close friend who's had a divorce, on and on and on and on that this, everyone is touched by this. When we worked through the Gospel of Mark and Bible study last summer, we, uh, I always offer, like I have said to all of you, if you have any questions, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. And, and pretty much five minutes after service is out, everyone's kind of gone. And Bible study is the same way. Usually I get done. I say, all right, you know, we're done. If you have any questions, you can stay after and, and talk to me. And usually everyone, we dismiss, we pray, close your Bibles, and they walk out. When we got done teaching on and talking through Mark chapter 10, the issues of divorce. I, we stayed 30 minutes late because everyone has some sort of experience with this issue. Everyone's got some sort of reality that, that, that this impacts their life. Divorce has become so popular and common in our world today that to speak on it is like playing with fire. <laughs> and, and I know that, and I am up here because, I, we, because of how it touches everyone. That there's no way to play with this, to speak of this, and not get burned. What can we do? This is, this is around everywhere. And honestly, we can err in two ditches. And the first is just to let our guns blaze and blow everyone connected to divorce and adultery straight to hell. Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. And we can stand up here in this ditch we can get into. It's like, it says it, it's black and white. Here's the black and white realities. If you've broken it, you've broken it. And good, good luck to you. And there are some that kind of take this angle of just, just blasting everybody out of the water. I hope... And if you're visiting for the first time, you don't know the other scriptures that I've gone through, the other past commandments we've gone through yet. But I hope that those of you who have been here know me well enough, and I have proven myself over these past nine weeks, that when it comes to the Ten Commandments, none of us stands, although I'm on a platform up here, none of us stands on a platform with the Ten Commandments and says, hey, why don't you come on up here to my level of perfection? Hey, you all are, you all are commandment breakers. Come on up here with me. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, no one stands up high. None of us is going to stand up here and say, why don't you get your act together and come stand up here with me. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, 
None of us, none of us meets the standard. All of us end up knocked down. All of us end up condemned. And the only call is not, hey, come up here where I am in my perfection. The only call is, hey, I'm knocked out by this too. Come with me as I repent of my sinfulness, as I repent of my my wrongdoing, my turning away, and as I look to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that is found only in Him and depend upon the Spirit's power that I may walk out from this place keeping this commandment by His grace and by His mercy. So do not hear that as I say these things, it's some sort of elevated position. Get in line with me. It's no, that's not how the commandments work. It's we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. And we all need to confess. I know that you have reasons and life circumstances for why your life took the turn that it did. And I never want to be associated with a mentality that says someone should have stayed in abusive relationships. When it comes to things like divorce, there are legitimate biblical reasons for marriage to end. And adultery is one of them. Everyone has reasons for why they do what they do. As we talk about these other issues, everyone has reasons for why they do what they do. But the other area, error than just shooting everybody down and condemning everyone, the other area, error is to just say, well, we're all sinners. We've all messed up. So sinful divorce, homosexuality, cohabitation, other kinds of adultery, eh, they're not really that big of a deal. Everyone's in that trouble. This is not the way Jesus handled it. Not by mowing everybody down and not by just saying, oh, it's everyone's sins, it's no big deal. My only caution is we cannot block off a section of our heart where we say God does not get to have the say over. We cannot block off a section of our lives and say God is not the Lord here. He's in the Lord in every commandment but the seventh. The seventh, I know what's best. I'm gonna, the seventh commandment, I know what's right. God doesn't get to have a say over that area. When we find When we go through the Ten Commandments, where do we find ourselves when we search our own hearts? There are issues, deeper issues at stake here than just these physical encounters. But I had to say that in clear terms in our world today. Anyone who engages in these acts is a clear seventh commandment breaker and sits under the just judgment of God. All, therefore, all who persist in this sin and do not repent will not be forgiven of their sin and they will face judgment. They'll be pronounced guilty and sentenced to eternal condemnation. Turn with me. The commandments are serious. I mean, when I'm talking about these things and we're condemning ourselves, it isn't just, don't worry, we're all condemned. No big deal. Big deal. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You got your Bible out. Please go to this one. This is super important. I want you to look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That was verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 6. That's the black and white reality of the seriousness of this commandment. He goes on. Verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of, the, of our God. So, by the Spirit of our God. So something happens. So 
I just want to throw that in. I, I want to raise the level of seriousness that this is, this is serious business. And at the same time, put in our, the seed we're going to get to here in a little bit, that there is something going on, that those who sit under this guilt and under this condemnation justly can somehow be washed, can somehow become not one of those who sits under it, but one of those who such were some of you. So we've seen there are service commands and that, 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 that is breaking of the seventh commandment. And it wouldn't shock me if we had to raise hands on how many of these service commands have been broken by us. But if you think you're getting away because you haven't broken any of those three first classes of homosexual practice, of premarital or whatever, all casual sexual relationships outside of your marriage partner, if you think, oh, okay, well, I haven't done those three, I'm good, go to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going, he did this with anger, and he's going to do this now with adultery, with, with, with lust. And Jesus has kind of got this repetition going. He says, well, you've heard it said this, but I say to you, and he's expounding, he's broadening out the law the way that he is supposed to, the way that we should read the laws. It's not just this surface commandment about a physical act of adultery. Jesus is going to up the ante. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That sounds familiar. But I say to you that everyone who looks and a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I say to you that everyone, again, verse 28, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here are some startling words from Jesus. The seventh command is a, is a command that at a surface level is something quite possibly something to keep. You could get married as a virgin and then never have a sexual relationship with anyone else than your marriage partner. And guess what? At a surface level, you can say, I've completed the seventh commandment at a surface level. But when Jesus gets a hold of this command, the gloves come off. The gloves come off. He says that it is not just the physical act of the encounter that brings on the guilt of adultery, but just the looking of the eyes with a lustful intent. Jesus went from someone firing a 22 at us at 100 yards to somebody sitting 10 yards away with a tank aimed at us. Like the, the, the first, the seventh commandment is kind of like, oh, I got to aim and maybe I'll, and I'll hit a few people, but some people I won't miss. Two, you've got a bazooka trained on you about point blank range. It's not going to miss. This commandment is not going to miss. He takes the obligations of the seventh commandment out of the category for only physical interactions and into the category of any looking or thinking with a lustful intent, with an adulterous intent. Much in the same way, you remember last week from the sixth commandment, we said that not only, it's not just the physical act of murder that, that's being talked about here, it's every emotion and thought that in its logical conclusion leads to murder. So we talked about hatred, anger, envy, these sorts of things. All of these emotions that lead to murder are condemned under the command to not murder. Likewise, adultery, anything over on this end that leads eventually to adultery is, yes, adultery. So the same way adultery condemns not only the physical act, but every action of the heart that is a precursor to the eventual adultery even if that adultery is never physically carried out. 
Let me be clear yet again. This is where our culture is in even bigger trouble. You think we're in trouble over the divorce issue. Think about the trouble that we are in over how pervasive sexual encounters are in our culture. Consumerism has discovered that sex sells and it uses it like crazy. Entertainers have discovered that pushing the limits on sexual content bring in the crowds. And the rating system on our movies becomes less and less effective at screening out sexual content. Pornography is running through our culture like the color red runs through blood. You cannot look anywhere without seeing it. You cannot look anywhere without seeing it. So in interest of being clear, when it comes to adultery, all pornography is sin. It is the looking at someone other than your spouse, whether you are married to them or not, with a lustful intent. I have to be clear on this. There are people attending churches that do not understand this reality. It's so pervasive in our culture. It has so taken over so much of our children's lives and our popular culture that people think everyone does it, nothing is wrong with it. Under this command and under the, what Jesus is speaking on, all pornography is sin. This includes all kinds of illicit material from blatant pornographic movies, pictures, magazines, and websites to more culturally accepted forms of romantic novels that have adult, mature content. That's not mature. It's not, that's not mature. That is being stuck somewhere less than mature. Any sort of romantic novels, health magazines with questionable content, or TV shows that highlight sexual content is a breaking of the seventh commandment. It is a looking with the eye with a lustful content, or a lustful intent. Another way, secondly, all flirting and engaging with someone other than your spouse in place of your spouse is adultery, even if it never leads to a physical act. So if you have a coworker, this happens all the time in our culture, where they talk about work wife, work husband, and some people are joking about it, and I get it. But that comes from a real thing where you're at a job all the time with this person and you begin to connect with them. That emotional adult- adultery does happen and it is adultery. If you have a coworker that because of the nature of your job you spend a lot of time with and you find yourself becoming more emotionally attached to them than your spouse, you should consider ways to get out of that relationship. You may think this doesn't apply to you if you're not married, but if you're working with someone and you find them attractive and you're getting attached to them, Maybe you should consider marrying them. This is, these are a couple of ways that need to be clear are adultery under the seventh commandment. So, what do you think? <laughs> is this really that serious? I mean, when Darren's laying these things out, I mean, everyone is guilty of these things. And I would agree, yeah, everyone's engaged in doing this. But do not think that this makes this not a serious issue How does Jesus continue on in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 5? He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes to hell. Now please do not take that literally. Jesus is not advocating mutilation of your body, that it would be actually breaking the sixth commandment to not murder. He's not, he's not asking for uh, actual mutilation. He's speaking in hyperbole to make his point. This is how seriously you should take your purity. What does it take to protect your marriage? What does it take to protect you from committing adultery? 
take those measures. He is being serious. If you can't stop, take every measure to prevent adultery. If you have to stop all your prescriptions, fine. You have to cancel your cable, fine. You've got to get rid of your phone. You've got to get apps to protect your phone. You need to get a different job. Do it, Jesus is saying. Protect your marriage. Protect your purity. Do not play around with adultery or the many circumstances that lead to it. How else do you combat it? This is for the married people. Enjoy your spouse. So you're on the danger of, I don't know, just becoming a weirdo when you start talking about sex from the pulpit in the church because it's just not, I don't know, there's lots of bad things that go on. But you also run the weird risk of becoming, a church is just anti-sex. And the church is not. One way that married people avoid adultery is by enjoying their spouse. Is by honestly enjoying their spouse. I'm not trying to make red cheeks out here. And I'm not trying to make my own cheeks get red. But the, the biblical picture of human sexuality is not just one of don'ts. Don't look here. Don't look there. Don't look whatever. The scripture is replete with, with very graphic, enjoying language of your partner, of your spouse. So please don't hear scripture that way. The Bible has much to say about the beauty and goodness of sexuality within the covenant of marriage. Husbands, you want to fight adultery? Love your wife. She is your picture of beauty. She is your standard of beauty. You want to fight adultery? Love your spouse. Wives, you want to fight adultery? Love your husbands. Overlook all the foolish things you don't like about them and appreciate the things that you do. Find them. Find them. Find things to appreciate. Find adult, fight adultery by treasuring your marriage. And to the unmarried, if they're in here or listening to me, if, if the Lord wills that you would be married, get married. Get married. Are they going to be your perfect soulmate? Probably not, but here's the thing. No one is. No one is your perfect soulmate. If you decide to marry a flawed, you need to decide to marry a flawed individual and hope they decide to marry a flawed individual too because that's all you are. There is no perfect, that's an, that is a fiction that we have created in our culture. Then you get to spend the rest of your lives figuring out how to learn someone who's flawed as they love someone who's flawed. Where does this all stem from? Why all this idolatry? Adultery? Why all this sexual hunger that our culture believes should just be fed whenever your metaphorical stomach growls? I think one reason is because adultery puts ourselves and our own desires at the center of the story. Adultery puts ourselves and our desires at the center of the story. Adultery is, is not about what the other person needs. It's about what I need. The man or woman who is looking at pornography is only concerned with themselves. The husband or wife pursuing other partners isn't really trying to help the other partners. They're just trying to do what they want. In a real way, they believe they are God and should get to do what they want. And there we see that the adulterer is not just a seventh commandment breaker, but also a first commandment breaker. They are making themselves out to be God. We shouldn't be surprised. In our selfie culture, our self-consumed culture, that adultery is so widespread. So, in our remaining time, we find ourselves sufficiently crushed, condemned on many fronts. And so we go back to our 1 Corinthians 6 passage where it reads these these stern condemnations. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, And Paul goes on to say, such were some of you. We go back to our introduction as well. The next question is super important. The next question is super important. 
Will you confess your guilt? Will you confess your guilt? The question is not, are you guilty anymore? There ain't anybody sitting in here who can, who can claim that sort of innocence. We cannot claim that. Are you guilty? Yes. But the next question is, will you confess your guilt? Will you repent? Will you be a repenter? Will you admit that you have sinned and seek to turn from that sin in a sincere effort to sin no more? That is what repentance is. A turning away in sorrow, in contempt, even disgust over who you once were and what you once did. And when you turn from your sin and look to Christ in faith, you find the sin-washing waters of redemption, justification, and sanctification flowing over you. You become those who once were active in sin and therefore under active judgment, but now through Christ you have been washed, sanctified, and justified. Yes, Jesus died to forgive even adulterers and the sexually immoral of their sins. So while we have raised the stakes here with the seventh commandment and saying, yes, these things are sexual immorality, it is adultery, yes, you are condemned, the good news still comes to everyone, every sinner. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. John chapter 8 is a very famous story of the woman who's caught in adultery. You probably all know it. This woman is caught in adultery and evidently not just the physical act, the physical act, not just looking. She's caught in the act of adultery. There's no man there. We could get into that. We don't have time to. But where is he? I don't know. But here is this woman in front of the crowd. There are, and there are two parts of her deliverance from this situation. The first is out from the condemnation of the crowd around her. They bring this woman up, testing Jesus. She's committed adultery. What should we do with her? Law demands that we stone her and kill her for adultery. This is when Jesus stoops down right and he starts scribbling something we don't know what, basically not even paying attention. He starts drawing down here in the dirt. What are you going to do? And Jesus gives this deliverance from her attackers. He says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. John chapter 8, verse 7. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. None of them, being sinners themselves, can throw a stone at her. Jesus has asked anyone who is without sin to throw the first stone. Now think, before we go into the second part, think. Is there anyone there who could have thrown a stone? Is there anyone? He says, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Is there anyone there who could have thrown a stone? There's one person. Jesus could have. There he stands. I mean, he, he, fit, he, he fits the bill. One person, anyone who is without sin throw the first stone. Jesus could have thrown it, and he doesn't. He doesn't throw the stone. Yes, Jesus standing there beside her had every right to throw the stone at her, but he does not. And when the woman responds to Jesus, he asks her, has no one condemned you? Jesus says, neither does he. Then he tells her, go and sin no more. How can she not be condemned? This is a problem. We have a just God. woman is caught in adultery. How can she not can be condemned? She was caught in first level obvious adultery. How can she escape condemnation? She can escape condemnation because Jesus knows where he's headed. He knows the righteousness that he's fulfilling with his own life. And in just a few months, weeks, Jesus is going to the cross 
where he will suffer the condemnation that sinners deserve. Sinners like this woman caught in adultery. Sinners like you and me filling this room this morning. He goes to the cross to suffer the condemnation that sinners deserve. He's going to receive the justice that all commandment breakers, including seventh commandment breakers, deserve. In their place condemned, he will stand. And just like with this woman, we know from the rest of Scripture that those who repent and believe will be forgiven of their condemnation and given the righteousness of Christ so that when they stand before their Maker, they will not hear the pronouncement of judgment against them, but they will hear righteous. They will hear righteous. The gospel is news that matters because it is the news that delivers on the ultimate level, the level of eternity. Nothing matters more with you today than the reality of what your eternal state is before God. Are you in Christ and therefore in his favor? A favor that cannot be broken and will secure secure you to your final place at home with him and eternal happiness? Or are you in yourself and awaiting the judgment? Do not stay there. Repenter, repent, repent, believe, look to Christ. And if you do or if you have done this, rejoice, we have a Savior. All that Christ is, He is for you and for your eternal joy. Nothing in this life can take that hope and that surety away from you. We do not glorify God by pretending these things are not real. God is glorified when we as sinners confess. That's me. We confess, we turn from our sin, and we look to Christ and His righteousness that we be forgiven and made righteous in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask for the work of Your Holy Spirit to convict us in this place this morning. Father, not just for the sake of feeling bad about ourselves, God, but for the realization, for the ultimate joy that is found in the gospel. I do not deserve your favor. I do not deserve your face to shine upon me. You should not look upon me with any sort of positive favor. But through the work of your Son, through the good news of the gospel, he gave his life for my sins so that through repentance and faith, everyone who looks, everyone who looks upon you can be forgiven of their sin, and will be raised on that last day. God, may that be our confession, our repentance, and our joy in you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.